Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 21st of May with me, Ian Welsh. A few days ago, I spoke with Eduardo Rojas Brialis, Professor of Forestry at the Polytechnic University of Valencia and a board member of PEFC. We reflected on some of the conversations from the recent Innovation Forum conference on sustainable apparel and textiles and the potential for sustainable forestry to provide non-fossil fuel-based fibres for the apparel sector at scale. Plus, we've got a final update on the Future of Climate Action Conference that's coming up next week. First, though, is some sustainable business news. The International Energy Agency has caused some waves with its new comprehensive report into what is going to be necessary to achieve the goals of staying within safe limits of global warming and meeting net zero emissions targets by 2050. The headline finding is that fossil fuel energy investment should cease immediately, meaning no development of oil or natural gas fields and no new coal-fired power stations. In addition, no fossil fuel-powered cars should be sold after 2035. The IEA also calls for $5 trillion a year of investment in clean energy, a 100% increase, estimating that the measures would add 0.4 percentage points to the global economy every year and create an estimated 30 million new jobs, offsetting the 5 million fossil fuel jobs that will disappear. The agency has set out 400 milestones along the road to 2050 that include the complete decarbonisation of global energy generation by 2040. At the same time as the IEA report was released, oil giant Shell was holding its annual general meeting and faced a significant shareholder rebellion voting on a resolution for the company to set targets to eliminate fossil fuel production. 30% of shareholders backed the move. Under UK corporate governance rules, any such resolution that passes a 20% threshold must then be subject to a formal consultation with the shareholders, with the company required to report on their views within six months. Some of the world's largest investors are thought to have backed this resolution, which was put forward by shareholder activist group Follow This. A similar resolution at BP's EGM recently attracted 21% of votes. Some new research by WWF Brazil and other environmental organisations has suggested that 94% of logging in the Brazilian Amazon is illegal. President Jair Bolsonaro recently pledged to eliminate the practices by 2030, whilst under pressure from foreign governments to halt the Amazon's destruction. The Brazil authorities have been accused of failing to implement laws on tracking where land has been cleared, how much is permitted and what is illegal. Since Bolsonaro came to office in 2019, there has been a surge in deforestation, increasing 9.5% in the 12 months to August 2020, for example. Business groups are beginning to add to the pressures on the government as they are concerned at the image of Brazil's soy and beef sector and the potential impact on exports. As a case in point, a new report from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism in Brazil and Unearthed has used satellite images and other data sources to demonstrate that some of the world's biggest food businesses have Amazon deforestation risks in their soy supply chains. Cargill, Bungie and Kofco are accused of sourcing from soy companies linked to farmers with multiple fines for forest clearance. All three companies are signatories to the Amazon Soy Moratorium that commits companies not to source soy from areas deforested after July 2008. The companies have all reaffirmed their commitment to the moratorium and say they will investigate the report's allegations and take action where necessary. The new Plastic Waste Makers Index, just published, says that 20 energy and chemical companies contribute 55% of the world's single-use plastics on their own. The big names include Dow and ExxonMobil. And despite policymakers worldwide pledging to tackle single-use plastics and the climate crisis, to which plastic is a major contributor, the index estimates that global capacity to produce the polymers that are the building blocks for plastics may grow at as much as 30% over the next five years. There was an estimated 130 million tonnes of single-use plastic in 2019, which was burned, put in landfill or just released in the environment, which is likely, of course, to end up in the oceans. 
Finally, supermarket chain Lidl has announced the listing of a certified carbon-neutral cheddar cheese in its UK stores. The chain has worked with supplier Wick Farms to adopt efficiencies in energy and water use and in land management, encouraging carbon sequestration and other sustainable agricultural practices and animal husbandry. Remaining emissions are offset via Carbon Trust verified carbon credits. Long term, Lidl plans to develop products that are carbon neutral within their value chain, eliminating the need for any offsetting, with a target of 2030 for that. The supermarket says that this is a model for future-proofing food supply chains. Next week is Innovation Forum's Future of Climate Action Conference. To find out what to expect and for details of any last-minute agenda and participant updates, I caught up with Innovation Forum's Natasha Bodnar. Welcome back to the podcast, Natasha. Hi Ian, how are you doing? I'm very well. So how are things shaping up for next week's event? Oh, it's looking to be really great. I can't believe it's next week already. It's come together really well. I think it's going to be a really fun and engaging few days. We've had quite a few speakers join. I've got a great group of people coming together. I've got over 200 people signed up already from across industries and brands from all around the world. Excellent. So are there any last minute additions to the panel and participant lineup? Yeah, unfortunately, Lord Deben is unable to join us, but in his place, Baroness Brown, who is the chair of the Adaptation Committee, will be joining us to share her thoughts on COP26 and what this means for supply chain targets. We're also going to be asking her to share some insights on public policy and how leading businesses can respond to this changing regulatory agenda. So I think it'll be some really interesting insights from her. So I'm looking forward to that opening session. Great. Yes, I am too. What should delegates be looking out for at the event? As with all our events, like this conference, particularly because it's an online event, is going to be super interactive. There's going to be lots of chances for input, not just through, obviously, we have networking breaks, which enable that, but also the sessions themselves. We're giving lots of time for engagement and interaction from people attending and Q&As and everything like that. So on the platform, there's a chance to have personal meetings and engage in that way. So in terms of what people are looking for is also to have lots of practical and to the point examples of what they can take away back to their companies and what they can do to work with their suppliers to bring down their scope through emissions and hopefully meet uh, some of the targets that a lot of these companies have been making. Brilliant. And I know we've got a lot of breakout sessions where we're going to essentially open Zoom call formats so everybody can get involved in the discussion and they're really interesting and I know we'll have a lot of really engaging discussions across the three days. Thinking ahead then Natasha, so what are your hopes from the event in terms of outcomes? What do you think people take away from the event? I guess it kind of comes back to what the title of the event is, which is really how to cut supply chain greenhouse gases and achieve net zero targets. So I hope that delegates can walk away with actionable insights on how they can do this. And then along with that, encourage as much possible collaboration as possible. We have such a large range of fantastic individuals and organizations participating that I think it's very conducive for having collaborative conversations. The good thing about the platform as well, because it's virtual, you get all these global insights as you say, I think you're right. There's going to be a lot of insight from a lot of experts. So hopefully delegates will take away some really good ideas as to how to tackle their own scope three emissions. Thanks, Natasha. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you, Ian. See you there. Coming up next month is Innovation Forum's Future of Food Europe event. And as a special offer for podcast listeners, you can save 20% on tickets if you register before the 28th of May at the end of next week. Just use special code SUB20, that's SUB20, when you sign up. There's a link to the registration page in this podcast's content summary. A few days ago, I spoke with Eduardo Rojas Brialis, Professor of Forestry at the Polytechnic University of Valencia and a board member of PEFC. 
Reflecting on the recent Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel Conference, we talked about the potential for forestry to provide sustainable regenerative fibres for the apparel sector at scale and why this could be a solution to the microplastics pollution problem. We're going to be talking a little bit about regenerative forestry and reflecting on some of the conversations from the Innovation Forum Sustainable Apparel and Textiles Conference, which we held recently. Sustainably managed forestry is in many senses a regenerative sector already, given the actions of continuous growth and replenishment. So how do you characterise the use of the term regenerative, given it's the latest sustainability buzzword? We have in the different sectors that are able to supply renewable fibres instead of petrol-based plastics, we have different sources. We have the source of wood and of forest product like viscose and, and new emerging uh, products that are coming. They are the source from plants, basically cotton and lining. And you have as well, of course, of animals, the case of wool. The different activities, even if they are land-based, like agriculture, grazing or forestry, are very different. The big difference in forestry is it is a perpetual business that you never can deforest. You should never deforest a forest. You should keep the forest and improve the soil and keep it on perpetuity. In fact, the concept of sustainability is the starting point of forestry in the 18th century, then was enlarged by Brundtland to the overall concept of proof in Rio. So there are differences in the three activities. And in the case of forestry, you never has a disruption. Normally in annual crops, you crop and you plant the next year, eventually a different crop, and there's always a discontinuity. And what the regenerative approach in agriculture tries is to ensure that the soil and the ecosystem is not hampered. In the case of forest, you always preserve the forest. It's the basic of the business. You only fell whatever has grown in a given period and you keep the capital standing. So in that sense, forestry is by definition, not only regenerative, it is perpetual business. Of course, if you start forestry like UK started 100 years ago, like Israel or Korea started in the 50s, like many Mediterranean countries started about also 100 years ago by replanting many of the degraded forests or the lost forests, you have a regenerative moment. But many of the forests that we have today, be in Russia, in Scandinavia or in the tropics, never were really deforested. So this regenerative moment happens in the cases we have lost forests, but in many cases we have preserved them over time most likely because there were not lots of humans around. So just this introduction, you know, to make understand that the approaches, also the professions behind and the sciences behind have different approaches, but all of them come together in this concept to preserve the ecosystem, to preserve the soil, and to ensure that your capital is never lost. In the case of forest, the capital is not only the soil, but as well the standing trees that will hold on long and you will just fell those who have reached to their maturity. Given all of that then, what's the potential for the forestry sector to provide regenerative fibre for the apparel sector, which we were talking about recently, at scale? And what are the barriers to this? There are huge potentials, but of course there are some barriers. First, forest resources need to be accessible. And we have a part of the forest, like in deep uh, Siberia, that are not accessible in certain areas. There is also regarding preservation of biodiversity and other environmental services like watershed, different approaches. Some people think that the best is not to touch forests. Others think that it's better to manage forests. There are issues regarding to climate change. If certain scenarios are reached of climate change, then we may have a degradation of forests. We have other perturbations like wind, big snows, but very especially insects, outbreaks, invasive insects. So there are issues also regarding to tenure. 80% of the world's forests are in the state hands, but we have a strong scientific evidence, especially in the tropics where local-based forest management shows to be much more resilient 
and less deforestation. So we have to progressively recognize these communities and empower them, and they are able to manage the forest. So we need also a consistent governance and also the inclusion of the forest sector into the rest of the economy. Very few forests are insured, for example, or have access to capital market and also to market. So, and of course, the wood or the bamboo, bamboo can be also used for textiles, can be used for different uses from burning, which is a single shoot use to textiles, to construction and to pulp and paper and other uses. So in that sense, there needs to be a balance between the different uses. Of course, due to climate change, those uses that have a higher a substitution factor are more interesting and have a long-term duration like construction. And then it depends also of the evolution of the technological development and research that will classify which woods are the best for given use. For example, for viscose, basically beech wood, which is very typical in the temperate area of Europe, is basically used. But there are other uses that need different kinds of wood, for example, construction conifers. So all the tendency to find new fibers that are able to substitute the growing demand of textiles and especially the petrol-based textiles will at the end through research show which kind of fiber, be wood, be bamboo or whoever, in which species are the best located and then where the resources are and trying to find a reasonable balance between the different uses. But there is important resources existing. There is a huge momentum for restoration. And in this restoration, it's very important to you know upfront which may be the best wood species that will be demanded by the textile industry. That by certain publications, there is one of Climate Kick together with Nature Conservancy, where the textile use is seen as the one that has the highest substitution potential, not the longest duration that is construction. So this would be the two, one building and textile that should be prioritized due to their strong climate benefit. Let's talk about that a little bit. Obviously, there is a significant microplastics risk from apparel. That's something we've been talking about, the risk from microplastics uh, when apparel containing petroleum-based fibres are washed, microplastics are developed and then are inevitably find their way into the ocean. So do you think that being able to counter that is a massive potential area of growth for the forestry sector? Sure, but also for all kinds of vegetable-based and even animal-based fibres, because everything that is done from a natural fibre is first renewable, uh, doesn't emit practically CO2 if, if it is properly managed, and very special the fibers are recyclable and they don't generate any kind of problems like the microplastic because the fiber is a natural fiber that the end has a cycle where it rots naturally. In that sense, it's very important that through research we are able to find different alternatives, be recovering the wool use because there's a big amount of wool that today is not unused, it is absurd, and to find new crops, not only cotton, and ensure the biggest renewable natural fiber that we have today is wood. And there's a big growth potential in the tropics also with bamboo that is very fast growing, that can restore slopes that are in very poor conditions, erodible and so on. And these two elements, wood from trees and bamboo, can, through the identification of new textiles, be able to avoid the use of petrol that is negative because we exhaust petrol, that emissions emit CO2, but very especially that the recycling, that with a difficult recycling and, and with a distribution of microplastic that at the end hampers our waters and very especially the oceans. There's definitely potential there. What about potential from the forestry sector to help companies in other sectors meet their net zero targets? Something that everybody's talking about at the moment every week. More and more big companies have net zero targets and net zero pledges. So what's the potential for the forestry sector to help 
obviously through offsetting programs and also the restoration and regeneration that we've been talking about? There are several paths. A first path is for sure a substantive supply of fiber that can avoid the use of petrol-based fibers. This is the most important. A second one, for sure, is joint models. I commented at the beginning that the logic of agriculture, of grazing and of forest is different. But we have, and very especially in the tropics, we have a lot of joint system of land use that have proven both socially and environmentally very interesting, be agroforestry or silvopastoral systems. And in mixture, we can bring the best of both and tailor them. They're big examples of small-scale models, but they can be also more commercial agricultural models that can pump nutrients from the bottom by trees that can provide wood and not also crops or animal products. This combination is a big asset and a high potential, especially to ensure these regenerative agriculture achievements. And other third option is, of course, there will be always certain CO2 emissions, basically based on transport and machinery and so on. A part of the energy can be provided by electricity, but not all. So these remaining emissions can be compensated either by a recovery of degraded forests. Let's see, many areas of Africa basically have degraded forests. They can be improved and put in better shape, and this would sequester important amount of carbon. And we can also do reforestations before the sake of environment alone or mixed multifunctional forests as we have basically all around Europe or the east of North America, where we will do everything. Carbon sequestration, biodiversity, social services, but as well wood supply or in the tropics, bamboo supply that would allow on the long term to have more products, more renewable products, but it will, by the single shoot a sequestration of the first generation of forests have important offset potential. And these three contributions are crucial. It depends on the area, which may be the most important. In the middle of the Amazon, surely not deforestation, or in the middle of the, of the Congo Basin, but in certain areas, the degraded forest, and in others, of course, the supply of more renewable fiber, vegetable fiber that is able to substitute both today's important plastic or petrol-based fiber, but more important than that, the expected huge growth of demand due to the emerging economies in the global south, that without a growing supply of plant fiber would, at the end, be filled by the petrol-based fibers. It seems to me it's a very complex area. I mean, thinking about the offsetting of emissions from transportation and others, and then ensuring that these are being met, that the carbon balance is correct, it is extremely complex. So is this, in fact, where certification actually comes into its own? Because it does give that level of certainty and transparency around the offsetting. As we know, certification has been criticised. There was a recent report from Greenpeace, for example. But is it in this area of certainty around the complex offsetting of emissions? Maybe this is where certification can really come into its own. Yes, but for sure we will need to build more consistent certification models. What we have had uh, since the 90s, very strongly demanded by the ENGOs, was ensuring that forest management in existing forests was sustainable. And I think this is achieved. And there are two basic global systems. There were many others, but they converged into two. And this is ensured and it's applied basically bottom-up, but also top-down mixture of standards that is highly recognized. Also, the companies that do really the work on the field. So I think the system is consistent for ensuring that the wood, the bamboo, whatever other forest product, cork, even hunting, may be sustainable. And this is ensured, and I don't think it's very serious to put it in doubt. What we need to do, for sure, in order to move in what you are commenting, is to ensure that we get further certification, further certification efforts 
around, for example, the offsetting through afforestations, the offsetting through restoration of degraded forests, and of course, in the area of plant fiber for textiles and other areas, and to have the full chain covered and more consistent model, not just looking at a single element, and for sure also certification systems that provide um, consistent calculation, what are these remaining emissions that are in the industrial process and in the trade process, in all the value chain, once the product, the fiber comes into the companies, how in all the value chain until it reaches the consumer, despite all the efforts to reduce emission, how big these emissions are and the instruments to offset. You can have the offsetting quite solid in the forest with a planting or restoration of degraded forest, but the amount you have to offset needs to be also consistently measured, which is outside, let's say, of the primary sector agriculture forest. This is happening in the industrial process on the transportation until it reaches the consumer. Well, it's a fascinating area and it's clear that forestry is going to have a big role to play in the road to net zero for, for many businesses and for us all. It's certainly going to be fascinating how it all evolves. But for now, Eduardo Rojas Realis from PFC International, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. As ever, look out at innovationforum.co.uk for all the usual audio, interviews and insights. If you're attending the Future for Climate Action Conference next week, I hope you enjoy the sessions and I'll look forward to seeing you there. But that's all for now. I've been Welsh. Until next week, goodbye.